beautiful, broken world of ours is a blessing worthy of deep gratitude and fierce protection. Our ancestors and our descendants are beckoning us, compelling us onward toward greater connection, greater compassion, greater commitment to one another and to the earth. Together we are resilient and resourceful enough to say yes to that call, to make it our life's work in a thousand different ways, knowing that we can do no other than bind ourselves more tightly together and throw ourselves into the holy work of showing up again and again to be part of that building of the, that world of which we dream, but which we have not yet seen. This morning, we are fortunate enough to have a stewardship testimonial from Cindy Curry. Good morning, everyone. Well, I'm standing before you today to try to properly explain why pledging and stewardship are so important, and something each of us should consider very seriously. I can only speak for myself. About two months ago, I was home recuperating, and Reverend Maria brought me lunch. I said to her at one point how thankful I was to be a UU and to belong to this community. So be really careful what you say to her, because that's how I ended up here. (laughs) Never one to miss a recruiting opportunity, let me tell you. But all kidding aside... UUFHC is my spiritual home in all that that statement embodies. Before coming here, I felt out of place most of the time. I was just hanging out with the wrong people, apparently, because I came here and I have found my tribe. It was like coming home, and I'm not sure how to put a price tag on something like that. Why is stewardship so important? Well, we can begin by just looking around. There is the structure that we all gather in, and it requires maintenance and upkeep. It's just a fact of life. But there is so much more here. Before coming here, I explored several different churches in the area. One in particular has stuck in my mind because every sermon circled around back to money. I nicknamed it my show-me-the-money church. (laughs) Here at UUFHC, we only do that once a year. Okay, twice, because we talk about the budget in April, too, but you get my drift. Regardless, it's not a constant uh, topic of conversation. It's just a reminder that, hey, we are all here, and we're responsible for the support of this place, where so much wonderful stuff happens. It's not like other churches where they receive money from some centralized governing body. We decide through a democratic process what goes on here, and that freedom, we are solely and physically responsible for the upkeep, the salaries that need to be paid in a fair manner, and for all the programming that goes on here. But as members, we all know this. I wanted to share with you today why pledging is something that I personally take seriously and do so willingly. This is my spiritual home, as I started off with. My soul is fed here. I am challenged and have grown into a better version of myself here. Now, believe it or not, this is the new and improved version. (laughs) It's a work in progress constantly. I've always been drawn to the more contemplative groups here, 
I belonged to the journaling group, the retreat group, women's ritual circle, and was a member of and led the worship committee for many years. It has been such a blessing and an honor to share that time with others here. Such wisdom, kindness, and love has been shared with me over the years. I love the freedom that we enjoy here to seek the truth, to seek meaning and wisdom from all religious traditions, prophetic men and women, humanist teachings, and earth-centered traditions. We not only have the freedom, but are encouraged and expected, and expected to seek this wisdom. I knew I was home after the first morning I walked through those doors about 15 years ago. Yet each new experience confirms this. For example, with my current battle with breast cancer, the support and love I have received from so many of you individually and from this community as a whole have held me and seen me through some very bleak moments. It was almost as if I could hear a chorus of voices holding me in a warm, comfy blanket of healing thoughts, prayers, and well whispers. There is no way to quantify the value of all those gifts that I received by being a member here. It's like the priceless MasterCard commercials, pledge to UUFC, blah, 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 dollars, spiritual contentment, priceless. So consider, I urge you to consider what gifts you and your family receive from your membership here. Be it in RE classes, the fellowship, the first class sermons we hear from Reverend Maria, whatever that may be, try to enumerate that and balance it with your own budget and give as generously as possible. Blessings be. So today's service was organized by the Social Justice Committee, and we have four of their members who are going to be talking to us, and we're going to start with Mark Petroquin. Fellow members and guests, what is one of the most cliched questions we all face in our lives at every stage? What motivates you? We hear this all the time in job interviews, at school, in our classrooms, in our churches for that matter, and in all the groups we attend. We specifically must address what motivates you to act on faith. Now, we all rely on faith to grant us peace of mind over what's beyond our control and vindicate our own existence often. But why does that compel us for, to commit any further action? Think about our UU principles. Inherent worth and dignity of every person, justice, equity, and the compassion of human relations, and the one I constantly cite, respect for the interdependent web of life of which we are all a part. Why do we have these principles specifically? It's not like these are unique to the UU as a people. I have seen it in numerous others of countless different faiths and traditions. And I'm compelled to believe this is an inherent essential trait of humanity as part of our natural evolution. We need these principles to survive in this world as a species. But why do we you use, see as necessary as part of our faith? The answer comes down to that definition of universalism. We are all part of that same divine consciousness 
of the universe looking in on and developing itself. We're all connected spiritually, socially, and, of course, biologically with not just each other, but the world around us, the the greater universe as a whole. Too many of us feel separate from that singularity and seek only to sustain and develop themselves, not necessarily out of hubris, but just because they're so concerned with their own inequities, they can't focus on anyone beyond their own, themselves or their own interests, or those of their family even. I have to believe that those with the vision, unclouded by hatred, prejudice, opinion, or bias, can see beyond the spatial and chronological boundaries of their own lives to see their greater impact and their place in the universe. Again, many of us feel disempowered to take any action on faith because we're only one person and we only live so many years, so how big of a difference will all our actions make? To quote Neil deGrasse Tyson, we are all connected to each other biologically, to the earth chemically, and to the rest of the universe atomically. The question of faith really comes down to what will our legacy be? What actions truly matter beyond our own lifetimes? In the chronological wholeness of the universe, how can we help write its story? And what will be the effects of our actions in a hundred, a thousand, or 10,000 years as we make some ripple in the flow of our natural evolutionary history. Of course, this requires some degree of faith in your actions, whether it's in a divine presence behind them or just the simple faith that others are susceptible to being influenced by you. And again, how do we act on this faith? It's easy to proclaim but hard to demonstrate. And It's even harder to distinguish often from radicalism. Too often we feel so disempowered by the futility of our actions that some of us may be afraid of descending into more extreme measures of fanaticism on that faith. If you believe in God or any divine presence can justify your actions, then obviously you'll never question them. You can never be wrong. But the difference between faith and radicalism is conviction. Real faith isn't knowing that you're right, but that you're not constrained by human limitations. So what is social justice? We all want to, quote, make the world a better place, however cliche that may sound, and we all have our own definition of this. To you, you, to any you, you, really, because every person is a divine embodiment of God and equally worthy of happiness and prosperity, anyone can take on this call of social justice. And it really becomes a question of addressing three factors, the number of people that we want to improve, how we want to improve their lives, and how long we want we can help them live. We are all spiritual amalgams of the same social morals we live in, whether in our home, community, or action. So any action we take on this social justice will help influence the morals of those around us, but also in the preceding generations. How we define those morals is our decision. In this regard, I rely on the second, and so what is social justice? Well, this relies on, I think, especially the second and seventh principles. The second principle, 
knowing that believing in justice, equity, and compassion of human rights, I believe this supports the social resources that will surround us. We all believe that those around us can be some can be the strongest force we have. So to me, that involves inv committing oneself to social justice opportunities like the homeless shelter, protect, supporting the Upper Chesapeake Pride, or w w helping out with the immigration subcommittee. The sense of love and trust of any community and nation is one that we can't quantify, but is necessary for our survival. And then there's the seventh principle, one that I often uh, rely on possibly too much, the respect for the independent web of life of which we're all a part. This is involved in protecting our natural resources. We are the embodiment of our physical and spiritual environment, and its legacy stays with us and vice versa long after our, our, own, limp, our own lives. We're all physical amalgams of that same stardust matter composing our current home that has been traversing and transforming since the dawn of creation, and it will continue to do so long after we pass on and return to that cold physical state. Here's the real icebreaker. Everyone is an environmentalist. We all rely on it, and we all want to protect some part of it. And so to me, protecting natural resources is the resources of the earth we physically rely on every moment of our lives and that all of humanity will continue to rely on. From even when we die, our bodies decompose and they become part of that same matter that feeds the plants and doing so feeds the insects and the animals and so forth. And thus, we are all part of that same natural physical evolution of our surrounding, li surrounding lives. That surrounds our lives, rather. Now, I will never know the scale of my own impact, if any, or if I just act on social justice to grant me that peace of mind. But one adage I do have faith in, even just to take action, to fail, to learn, to connect with others, gives me that sense that in my journey, just that sheer action is an answer. We may feel powerless in the face of social change, yet sometimes unresponsible for the movement behind it. But if we take responsibility, we can be part of that movement. Thank you. Good morning. Good morning. So, um, I'd love to say I was grateful for the opportunity to be asked to do this, but I actually volunteered. Because, shockingly, I had something I wanted to share. Uh, and I'm just really grateful that I was included in this to be able to talk about yet another one of the amazing social justice projects that gets done here at UUFHC. Um, Mark talked about a lot of the work that gets done around some of our areas. Another one, in addition, that we began in September 2018 was actually called Building the World We Dream About. Um, so we choose to try to think of that as aspirational. Um, and it really sounds nice, but it's more than that. The idea behind Building the World We Dream About, it's a monthly session that we open to everyone, and we've recently started to get more and more participation, which is so exciting. But the idea behind it is us coming together to have those conversations that are really relevant when we talk about the work of multiculturalism, when we talk about the work of racial justice, 
when we talk about all of the things that we need to proactively do in order to make the changes that we want to see in the world around us. So throughout the time that we've been doing Building the World We Dream About, we've covered a host of topics. We've done immigration. We've talked about um, the Sharps War. We've talked about racial justice. And most recently, this past Thursday, we did the first in a two-part series on white fragility. And that's what I'm going to talk about, because at the end of this, my goal is going to be to encourage not only everyone here to come to the second part, but everyone here to bring a friend. So I am going to talk a little bit about the work that we did just this past Thursday. So at the heart of the work that we do um, surrounding white fragility, and for those of you who don't know, it's based on a book by Robin D'Angelo that I would encourage everybody to read. If you don't like to read, there's a YouTube video of her talking about it, so you can do that too. But at the heart of the work that we're doing in there is grappling with the realities of what it is to live in a country that is resting on a foundation of white supremacy and white privilege. Um, it's really comforting, and it's easy to look around, and I've done it, and I always try to frame things in what I do, and look around and say, well, I'm not a racist. I'm clearly not a racist. I, I'm a really good person. I've never said anything bad against anybody in the whole wide world. So there. <laughs> I'm done. Um, yeah, exactly, mic drop. But the reality is that it's so much more than looking around and saying, well, I haven't done these things. Because when we're talking about racism or racists being a racist, we're talking not about events, but about broader structure, about the world that we live in, that we inhabit every single day. And it's a scary word. It's, it's, a, it's a hard word. And you hear the word, and you first thing you want to do, first thing I want to do is say, no, 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 not me, I promise. I'm nice. And you can't. That's not what it is. Because the very fact that I choose to engage in anti-racism work, that I choose to participate in something around race, is at the foundation of my privilege. Because I can choose not to. I can choose to wake up every morning for the rest of my life, never think about race. And what does that tell you about how the structures and the systems that we are all living within, the fact that I can choose whether or not I want to deal with it at all. So when I was given the opportunity to discuss one of the social justice initiatives, and I think they're all incredible, and I'm so lucky to be able to sit in the meetings and listen to the amazing work of the committee, um, I knew, though, that I wanted to discuss the anti-racism and the multiculturalism that we're engaging in, because for any of this to work, it needs all of us to work on it. Um, so this past Thursday, as I said, we had our most recent Building the World We Dream About session. I was so excited just by the increase of number in people, but also more than just the number, the conversations people were willing to engage. Because one of the truest realities of this work is you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable. You have to be willing to sit in that room and be challenged be challenged from a place of curiosity, be challenged from a place of love, but be challenged, be asked to reinvestigate your own suppositions, the own places that you live in this world. 
and answer some hard questions, ask some hard questions. So I always go into that Thursday evening session, on the one hand, really excited that I get to do this with Reverend Maria once again, but on the other hand, knowing that when I get out of there at 9 o'clock, I'm going to be exhausted. I'm going to have sat through something that made me re-examine everything I do. I started by saying we started this project in 2018. I've learned about this much during that time because it is a lifetime of learning that is ahead every single day. So the idea that I want to engage us all in for a minute this morning, because one of the realities of doing the type of work is you always end with asking for something, right? We're used to asking for something up here, and I am going to ask for something. One of the things that Beverly, De um, excuse me, one of the things that Robin D'Angelo talks about in her video is how she engages when somebody calls out to her or points out to her, hey, what you just said was wrong. What you just said demonstrated your privilege. And people, you know, shut, shut down at that. I have. It, it's, it's that horrible feeling. And one of the things she equated it to, and this uh, gentleman, please bear with me because ladies, y'all understand, is if you come out of the restroom and your skirt is tucked up into your stockings and, you know, your whole backside's hanging out, you would expect the people around you to tell you, <clears throat> you want to cover that, right? And especially if they're your friends, if they're the people that you are in community with, you would expect the people in your community to gently point out to you, excuse me, you're showing. And this is the same kind of thing. We, as a community, have to have enough trust and enough commitment both to each other and to the work that we have said we have to do around this issue in order to say to each other, hey, I heard what you said. I want you to hear what I heard. I want you to hear why that may have come out this way. I want to have a conversation around this. So what I want to leave us with is two things. First, I will humbly ask you, my spiritual family, that if I've got spinach in my teeth, if my skirt's in my stockings, or if I am saying something that demonstrates that I get to walk through this world as a white person full of privilege, tell me all three, and I will gladly say thank you. The second thing I am going to ask is that we all start to open ourselves to these conversations, and by all means, that, you know, this is a church announcement, but that you join us on March 19th for the second part of White Fragility, those who were here can attest to the facts that it's an amazing conversation, it's an amazing group of people, it's amazing snack, you have food. And all I can sincerely hope is that we can each continue to do this work proactively together every single day. So thank you for all that you do to support this church, thank you for being part of this community, and thank you for letting me get up here and share my thoughts. What is social justice? Given the impact that social justice has on society, I contend that social justice is also activism for environmental justice, juvenile justice, justice in housing, transportation, health, and education policy. However, most fundamentally, it is economic justice and justice that secures our rights as human beings. 
As you use, many of us live our lives in a manner that forms the cause of social justice. We read books, fellowship with like-minded individuals while welcoming and embracing a free and responsible search for truth and meaning, one of our UU principles. We have our children engaged in activism and faith formation. We protest, we vote, we write postcards to educate the public. We call legislators, send letters to policymakers. We work on or for political campaigns. We participate in parades to promote ideas. We wear shirts with proactive or progressive messages. We use meaningful quotes on our social media pages and within the signature line of our emails. Many of us pray, meditate, and try to contain our feelings in a way that is acceptable to others. And we work silently behind the fray, ruckus and confusion of life to maintain some kind of peace. These two past weeks, I have testified on House Bill 624 and its cross-file bill, Senate Bill 539, Juvenile Law Child Interrogation Protection Act. In the last couple of weeks, you, this has been referenced from Reverend Maria. It's a bill that would grant youth the ability to have Miranda rights read to them in a manner that is understandable to them, given their development. This is important because youth are treated the same as adults when it comes to police custody and arrest. The bill also requires that they have legal counsel before being interrogated, just like adults. The bill also requires a parent to be immediately notified with sufficient evidence that the child has been arrested or is in custody, as opposed to the current law of only within 48 hours. I don't know about you, but can you imagine not knowing where your child is for 48 hours? It's enough to drive a parent insane. But no matter the reason, why should any minor be shielded from a loving and caring and concerned parent? In the midst of all that we do as you use, we continue to build our faith, not with only our thoughts and actions, behaviors and words, but also with the power of our wallet. The institution of our minds and bodies are forwarded by our economic strength, our financial prowess, and our shrewdness of monetary commitments. And I say all this to say that many of us implement social justice via all kinds of means. My means is political. And I know for some you use, that's a very scary word, politics, being political, because in this day and age, it's taken on such a negative connotation. But I contend with you all, we've all been engaged in politics from infancy. Politics is nothing but relationships and making those decisions based on those relationships. There's politics and marriage. Anyone familiar with that? <laughs> politics and marriage? The right hand doesn't always tell the left hand everything, or at least maybe not immediately, but definitely later in time. Children engage in politics all the time. They play that game, mom versus dad, see what they can get. Politics is not a bad thing. We all just need to make decisions in a certain way at a certain time. And there's also politics in our faith. Sometimes we share our faith with others, and sometimes we don't because of fear. 
because we don't want to be subjected to a certain thought or a stereotype. But I contend with you, starting today, take politics out the picture and be who you are at all times. And let that shine in you. Let being a you-you ask for someone to ask you, why do you say this? Why do you believe this? Why do you do this? And use any of those principles of you-you-ism to explain to them why you do what you do, why you read certain books, why you have your ch children engage in certain faith formations. Why you put your money where you put it. Why you participate in a certain activity. Why you phrase the words that you phrase. Why you walk the way you walk. Why you dress the way you dress. Why you do the hair the way you do your hair. Why you've chosen to marry the person you've chosen to marry. Because of your faith. Make everything that you do because of your faith. And if you're having a hard time doing that, Reverend Maria has her door open. She has a direct line of communication open to you. And I ask you to go to her, speak to her about how you can better embody your faith, how you can better represent your faith for yourself first, then for your family, and of course for others in the community. I do my representation through politics. Thank you. Good morning. I promise I'm the last speaker this morning. <laughs> my name is Sue, and my preferred pronouns are she and her, and I'm the chair of the Social Justice Committee. Prior to joining UUFHC, I took my Buddhist precepts as a layperson within the Zen Peacemakers lineage. In that lineage, there are three tenets that we take, not knowing, letting go of fixed ideas and stories about ourselves, others, and the universe, bearing witness to the joy and suffering of the world and taking action that arises from not knowing and bearing witness. I also wouldn't be a very good Buddhist if I didn't connect you to another numbering system within that numbering system. And so here we are, the two UU principles that really connected to me from the start and connected and grounded my moral calling. The first is number seven, Respect for the interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. The number two principle is the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Nothing to me sums this up more elegantly and visually than the following Buddhist story of Indra's net. The net is said to be infinite and to spread in all directions with no beginning or no end. At each node of the net is a jewel so arranged that every jewel reflects the other jewels. No jewel exists independently of the rest. Everything is related to everything else. Every single one of us is a jewel that is necessary to keep the net going and vibrant. Nothing is isolated and we are all interconnected or we are, in the words of Thich Nhat Hanh, interbeings. An injustice to you reflects on me and dims my spirit, and so on and so on. And that's such a powerful image to me. I will never know the experience of a person of color is like growing up in America. 
I will hopefully never know what it's like to have to flee my country and language and only place I've ever known for the safety of myself and my family. You will never know the experience of growing up gay in America. What the service of social justice is to me is living the three tenets of not knowing, deep listening with empathy, bearing witness to those experiences and taking action to support those who may or may not be able to stand on their own. It is a constant daily practice of being aware and questioning my storylines and beliefs over and over again and taking right action in skillful ways. And while the Social Justice Committee is working to help celebrate the Pride Festival this coming June, there's also much to celebrate. There's also much work to be done. As long as people of color are still marginalized and left behind, as long as it is a crime to seek safety for your children in another country, we still have so much work to do. This past Martin Luther King Day to celebrate what you use, believe, and have done to support social justice, thanks to Marla. This year, we're working along with our allies to get the Protect Our Minors bill passed in the Maryland legislature that would prevent youth from being interrogated without their parents and notice of an attorney, thanks to Reverend Maria, Shauna Brinkerhoff, and Marla again for all their work. We continue to work with SARC and Homeless Concerns with Mark Petroquin, Maureen North, and Kim Roberts. And as Erica explained, we're putting on a monthly session that's facilitated on building the world we dream about and questioning our beliefs and who we are. We're involved with standing vigilant about the issue of immigration thanks to the leadership of Reverend Maria and I've joined those calls to be more aware of what we can do. We'll be kicking off UU the vote on March 26th to help find ways to support our values in the upcoming election. And of course, we'll all be celebrating Pride Month in Hartford County on June 27th, and we hope you can make that too. This year, the youth will be part of the leadership of that effort as we pass our social justice torches to them. There are things that I'm very passionate about and keep me engaged in community that supports the same values. And I hate to say this too loud to around our board members, but it's not just about what you put in the plate. It's what you put in the church and how you service our community. And all ideas and causes are welcome at our table. Please come uh, and, and be prepared to help us serve and serve our values. So thank you very much. Be seated. Just want to give a big thank you to the members of our social justice committee who spoke here today, Marla and Mark and Erica and Sue. It was wonderful service, very meaningful. Thank you. And as you've stated, the struggle continues. The road that lies ahead of us is a long one, and the pace of progress will sometimes feel glacially slow. Never forget, though, that glaciers over time carve out Grand Canyons and Great Lakes, and moving tectonic plates can rise up mountains over millennia, or they can explode awe-inspiring volcanoes in milliseconds. Our commitment to love and justice can do the same. Amen, and blessed be.